0: Hi, everybody. Joel Junker here with another episode of the Karen Brooks podcast Above and Beyond. And uh, this is a great podcast. I know I say that about all of them, but this was a fun one. Michael High, uh, Karen Brooks alumnus from 2005, former um, Army military intelligence officer that uh, transitioned to Shell Oil into a corporate finance or a senior financial analyst role with only two accounting courses in his background when he made the transition. And today, 15 years later, he's the chief financial officer of the uh, Shell Oil Deepwater Gulf of Mexico business unit, depending on the year, a $5 billion to $10 billion uh, business, accounting for 10% of Shell Oil's uh, business. So a big role. He's rapidly progressed in his career. Um, I also thought at the end of the uh, podcast it would be interesting for me just to do some search of some people that I knew that were uh, at the C-level uh, position, executive positions, they're Cameron Brooks alumni. There are a lot of veterans, JMOs, that are at the uh, the chief... Uh, level, uh, whether a chief financial officer, chief operating officer, uh, CEO level across corporate America. And, and we're proud that at Cameron Brooks, many of these people are Cameron Brooks alumni. I listed them in our uh, in the blog post uh, or the podcast post write up on our website. So I we encourage you to, to, to read about them, click on their profiles and look at all those people and like Michael that have made it so high in their career. What made this just really unique and special for me is Michael is uh, really what I I believe epitomizes or sets a great example of what companies value in a junior military officer when they hire them and also how to manage your career for success. Michael is smart. He's focused on continued self-development. He has uh, pursued formal development, continued to be a reader. He's mentored and developed other people, and he's humble. And uh, it was just a delight to listen to his story. His career has spanned from Los Angeles to Texas to the Netherlands, back to Texas to, to New Orleans. Um, and he just has some great stories and advice for both junior military officers thinking about making the transition uh, and former junior military officers working in business, and as well as companies that are thinking about hiring military officers, how to bring uh, officers into a company and help them succeed. So I hope you enjoy. Well, Michael, it's great to be great to be talking to you again, As we, before we jumped on. I think it's been probably 13 years since you and I chatted and I, you're at a big job now, as you said, um, and we'll get into that. You can talk, talk a little bit about it, but if you just take a minute to introduce yourself and talk about what you do now at uh, at Shell, and then we'll get into a little bit how you you know how you when you transitioned out and your first role at Shell.
1: Okay, uh, so hi everyone, my name is Michael. High. I'm uh, currently the business unit CFO for Shell's Deepwater Gulf of Mexico business, based out of New Orleans. Uh, been in Shell about 15 years, uh, and started uh, with Shell in our manufacturing business or refining business in Los Angeles. Uh, Since then, my career has taken me between uh, Los Angeles to Texas, to the Netherlands and back to Texas and over into New Orleans and with it a number of uh, promotions and and some really interesting opportunities across a bunch of different uh, parts of our business. Um, This current business is a really important part of our our portfolio um, and so feel uh, very privileged to be able to lead a pretty considerable part of our finance function and one of our more material assets for the company.
0: And I'm curious, Michael, if you can share. Tell me about the magnitude of this role, if you will, because you talk about how important it is to the business. And um, some people, some of the JMOs specifically that might be listening, certainly client companies might hear it, might understand the magnitude. But tell me what you like, what you're
1: responsible for here. Yeah, so the, uh, the business I'm in, obviously, we're, we have uh, the top lines driven by commodity prices, but you know, it can be between a 5 and $10 billion revenue business um, on, a, on a given year, obviously, depending upon uh, where prices are at. Um, it represents more than 10% of the upstream production for, the, uh, for our company, which is a material value driver for our business as well. Uh, and it represents more than 10% of our capital investment as a company in terms of where we'd like to continue to grow for the future.
0: Yeah, so pretty pretty big, big job, 5 to $10 billion CFO of a business unit, uh, uh, kind of what you're doing now. Talk to me a little bit about how, is this a little bit fast for 15 years to be a CFO of a, uh, of a business unit that size?
1: Yeah, so... Um yeah I think I think it varies you know I think there um, so the short answer would be be yes um, if I look around in my peer group, I'm probably one of the younger members of my my peer group at the current level in the company you know obviously folks who are you know have maybe cFO potential of the entire company I could imagine their careers move even a bit bit faster um, but definitely relative to the kind of average peer group uh, you know, I'm one of the younger folks floating around
0: all right that's good and you know how did your military experience and in- being a jmo that experience that you had in the army uh help you be successful it it, early on in your career and then we'll give you another question is like how is is that how do you still pull on that experience today but early on how did you leverage your officer leadership experience to be successful
1: yeah, so so early on, I would say it it was a couple things that I was able to leverage. Um, I, I will say, and we'll get to it, but you know, it's been over time that I've really appreciated, and I would say even in this current role, really starting to leverage uh, much deeper learnings that I had as a, as a military officer. Um, and so, I'll, let me talk about the early career first. So, uh, my first job, I came into Shell. I was working in our Los Angeles refinery, and and there, you know, I come into a role where most of my peer group uh, had four or five or six years of accounting and finance experience, and here I am walking in right off the street, and you know, as I tell everyone, I had my two accounting classes and my one finance class in my undergrad, uh, a bit of reading about it in Cameron Brooks, but that was about it. And so, you know, I walk into a role where I've got a lot of technically competent uh, colleagues around me, and so immediately, you know, the only thing I had to rely upon was, frankly, my my military. Military experience. And what that really came down to is kind of people effectiveness and leadership and soft skills. And so I remember supporting one of our very senior a very seasoned uh, operations managers, you know, a person who had a very illustrious career to that point and was a little bit feared by others. And, and so he turned to me and he kind of realized maybe perhaps that uh, I didn't have a lot to offer in terms of finance in the beginning. Um, But he said, you know, I'm having kind of a hard time getting my team to gel and, and where our meetings aren't as effective as I'd like them to be. And so I'd like you to come to the meetings, but actually i would like you to help us figure out how we can make this more effective. And so this had nothing to do with finance, nothing to do with accounting. But obviously, you know, with leadership experience and, of course, a lot of meeting facilitation experience that you get in the military and other things along that lines, um, that actually ended up being one of the contributions I could make immediately on the ground tapping into the soft skills. Um, you know, some background military-wise, I was a military intelligence officer in the Army. And, and kind of in the beginning, I, I'm not sure I saw all the parallels and connections between my experiencing and jumping into finance. So I already alluded to the idea that I'd only had two finance and an accounting class and that, in my mind, that had made me unprepared to be able to work in finance um, uh, to, to the same degree that others might have. But what I learned over time, actually, is there's a lot more parallels between the role of the military intelligence officer and the role of a finance manager or CFO. And I think what it largely boils down to is a great intelligence officer recognizes that they are not ultimately the warfighter or the decision maker. But a great warfighter or decision maker recognizes that to make great decisions, they want to have their intelligence officer as one of the right or left. Can people. Mm-hmm. And I think finance falls into the same potential trap as finance people, which is sometimes we can confuse ourselves with being the end fighter or decision maker or general manager. And likewise, you know, our general managers sometimes always don't think about us being at the table to make those key decisions. But as you mature into doing that role properly, you kind of recognize with some humility that you, you're ultimately there to be a great advisor. Um, and sometimes that doesn't always mean you're the decision maker, but uh, you want to have business partners who want to have you there. All the time um, I think there's other parallels I picked up on over time around uh, clearly the use of data, logic, um, external information to be able to inform decision making, being a counterpoint sometimes to operations um, in our case of, of finance that can also mean sticking up for um, you know understanding that the industry or competitors aren't necessarily going to follow our plans and that having that insight around uh, recognizing that we have to be thinking about what they're doing, not just thinking about what we want to do.
0: Well, and, you know, I'm curious, too, you mentioned that um, the, actually you're playing off your military experience more now than maybe you did throughout the, your, your earlier part of your career. So talk with me a little bit or share the listeners, like as a CFO of this, you know, multi-billion dollar business, how you're now now more leveraging your, your military mm-hmm. officer experience. Yes,
1: yeah, so I think uh, it really boils down to, to probably um, two things. So the first is more of a kind of how do you, integrate yourself into the culture of a new organization. And that's I think a mistake that um, you know many of us transitioning out of the military into the corporate world do is that we kind of we, we do recognize we got hired because of our military experience, but at least in the context of you know the organizations I've been in, you know, people don't want to hear all that necessarily. They want to hear what you can do for them today. And so early on you almost have to prove that you have integrated yourself um, into the culture of the company where that where you're at, and so in some ways, I won't say downplaying or diminishing necessarily the military experience, but emphasizing that you are part of the organization you're joining. You're not this outsider that that you know is still tied to this other organization, which happens to be the military. And so that's part of it is the internal piece of of maybe not leveraging it is actually. I won't say being quiet about it, but definitely emphasizing integration into the company's culture for many years. And then once you've got that kind of established, then that military experience, rather than being an outsider, actually becomes this really informed insider. So you're able to leverage your experience and and people don't take it as maybe questioning whether you're part of the company or not. They see it as here's this great external experience that you had that can help inform you as a member of the current culture and company better. So that's the first part I think is is that transition um, the second is is clearly around leadership, um, and then I would say, and I'll get to one other piece, actually, a sub-piece of that, which is around specifically in the Army troop leading procedures, and I'll, and I'll describe that. So the, the leadership experience is this idea of, you know in some ways, you go into the corporate world, it may be many, many years before you lead the same size organization that you led in the military, um, especially in something like finance, which is not a line general management type of organization. You know, it, was, it was about eight years before I led my first team, um, it was, uh, uh, I guess formally led my first team and then size wise, it was only until this role actually that I had an equivalent, uh, leadership, uh, organization, the direct leadership or responsibility than what I had in the military. Um, so that's probably the other one is those same skills that it takes to lead through others, uh, to lead a larger organization where you can't talk to every single person on a daily basis, um, really come to fruition when you're leading a larger team. Um, so I mentioned you know, troop leading procedures, and you know, these are some of the real basic kind of nuts and bolts, you know, shoot, move, communicate kind of stuff that we have as, as leaders in the military. And um, a couple things that stick out to me is this idea of starting necessary Work uh, or movement—I uh, think—is what is referred to, and and trying to ingrain that idea of working things in parallel, so that by the time you need to arrive at the objective, other things have been have been worked in parallel. And sometimes I find uh, there's a lot of sequential thinking that I've run into, and unfortunately, things don't get started early enough. Uh, the concept of a warning order, so giving people a heads up ahead of time. You know, here's what to expect, and here's the things that I know. As a, as a method to communicate to others. And so if you think about it, of organization change as an example, people, you know, what I've found is people like to know what you know when you know it, as opposed to kind of waiting to bottle it up into some fancy communication and issuing it, you know, maybe a couple of weeks too late. So there's some of those real basics kind of military leadership things that I find very relevant now in terms of communicating to organizations too.
0: Yeah, it's such a... It was such a great point on the kind of just the basic things that we were taught. And I say we, because I was former JMO and I actually army as well, that even I still think about today is, you know, the, the ability to really clearly communicate, not just the plan, but things like the intent so -hmm. that people can grab the intent and begin, begin work because they have the intent. It's just amazing how many things the military does uh, get right that we hold on to throughout our throughout our careers even to take something as simple as like shoot move and communicate and how what's the applicability to that to being the cfo of a business um so i'm curious to so one other question So we talked a lot about your military officer experience and certainly that's the majority of what you're playing off of i think throughout your career and that's why companies value you shell hired you value you, you really you are the model of what they were looking for when they hired somebody not only come in and fulfill a position and, and be successful. It's somebody that could promote and develop uh, multiple times. I would say you probably have exceeded expectations <laughs> from 2005. Um, certainly not my expectations, but I don't think anybody expected when they hired you in 2005 that you'd be yeah. the, the next CFO of, the, of a $5 to $10 billion business. But how, from a Cameron Brooks standpoint, what was it about the Cameron Brooks program that you leaned on earlier or even continue to lean on throughout your career, Michael?
1: Yeah, so uh yeah, I had a conversation yesterday with a with a team member who's looking for a new role. And, uh, and so I, I mentioned this because yesterday I was leaning on my Cameron Brooks experience. And so I was trying to articulate to her, you know, look, when the hiring manager is going to be looking at you, they're not just looking for your accomplishments or your achievement. They're also going to be interested in, are you even interested in this role? And do you have rapport with them? So this idea of these kind of three building blocks of the interview process and, and conveying that, that's this thing I tell people all the time, trying to explain to them and this, the insight really around interest and rapport is usually as an aha moment for a lot of people who tend to emphasize uh, kind of way too much just the the, the achievement or accomplishment side of things. Um, yeah, I think the second is the professional reading piece. Um, it's something that I have absolutely stuck with. Um, it's something that I look around. I will say it is definitely a differentiating um, thing, keeping up and continually learning. I've done a lot of formal learning, I would say, as well that started kind of built with the career, you know, uh, preparation transition program stuff we did with Cameron Brooks but it led to formal education but it's the informal kind of just being a continual lifelong learner I think it's paid dividends as well. Um, I mentioned interviewing maybe concepts but also interviewing skills is definitely something that has paid dividends throughout the years Um, and I think the last one is you know maybe a degree of kind of um, confidence, not cockiness, but confidence um, in one's abilities and ability to go through kind of difficult things um, as it relates to the business world. And, you know, it, it's not an easy process by any means. And I actually think that's the most valuable part of the Cameron Brooks experience is but sometimes the things that are hardest are the things that are the most valuable. Right. right. Um, and so, and I definitely look at that differentiated experience even versus other um, JMO programs that even tend to emphasize the fact that you don't have to go through those hoops. So I think that's a red flag uh, in my view. Um, you should want people who want to lean into hard things.
0: Exactly. And, you know, that was Roger Cameron through and through, uh, lean into hard things, do the, do the hard thing. You, and you, I don't remember that alum speech that he gives on Sunday yeah. night. At the career conference and he would talk about as a Cameron Brooks alumnus as we go into corporate America with you together you obviously the most important part of that partnership because you've gone to corporate America but the expectation is is that we go along with you and the expectation is that you're going to do the hard things and you're going to do the little things really well and you mentioned another thing that is a big part of the Cameron Brooks program because, because of course we start our program with selecting high quality people the top performers. And we want to add to that by teaching them the importance of self-development, not just in the preparation of transition, but if they're going to be a development candidate. They've got to continually self-develop through their career, uh, whether it be reading books or certifications, mentors, those types of things. What are some of the big things that you've done in your career to continue to develop yourself, Michael?
1: Yes, yeah, so there's been a couple of, of threads, I would say, to that. So um, the first I, I have mentioned probably twice now, I'll mention the third time. You know, I came into finance um, with a general kind of quantitative aptitude. And now in hindsight, uh, uh, the MI skill set or the military intelligence skill set is relevant for it, but without a lot of the formal education in finance and accounting and none of the early career. Experience in it, and so one of the first things I did was within the first uh, two years applied to a graduate program for a Masters in Finance, um, which I which I completed um, in 2010. Um, but then after that, you know, what I've discovered about graduate school was, for me, it was like opening the box of, okay, now that I've done that, now I know what I really want to get more information about. And so pretty quickly thereafter, uh, pursued a a certified management accounting designation to kind of really shore up the the accounting skill set. and then later on, it kind of opened a second chapter to my development, but um, for the formal development side, which was um, I found myself uh, working more and more in planning type of roles, and this was another bridge to my my intelligence experience. Um, even do things like scenario planning. Um, if you think about the whole, um, you know, the whole process of of kind of uh, going through and evaluating different courses of action, it's effectively scenario planning. Um, so I found myself gravitating toward positions that had planning as a heavy element of it. And through that kind of experience, discovered that there was an external certification uh, for uh, certified corporate plan- uh, financial planning and appraisal uh, folks. Um, and so I uh, ended up piloting it for my company, uh, earning the designation. And then I opened this last chapter, which was getting involved in the professional society around finance, which is ultimately open the door to joining the board of directors uh, for that organization, which is the Association for Financial Professionals. Um, You know, there's 15,000 members of of the organization, international, um, and all my colleagues are CFOs of of, uh, other companies or or VPs of finance. And so to be around a very esteemed group of people to get to learn from them, that has been one of the most spectacular learning opportunities uh, I've ever had.
0: You know, you've also been on the other side of hiring, uh, of course, and you've been probably even led JMOs and things like that. What is it the value that the military officer brings when you're hiring, for example, when you've been in those roles? How come you chose to hire a junior, junior military officer, Michael?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, definitely a bias toward leadership skills and leadership experience because, you know, ultimately, even as a CFO, you know, most of my role and responsibilities revolve around leadership, a bit agnostic to to the technical skills. And there are technical elements of the role, but more and more, it's largely about leadership you know, across across an organization. Um, so that I think is the first thing. I think the second one is resilience. Um, and as if we've ever seen a world where resilience matters, it's it's right now. Um, mm-hmm. But even at many other points in time, you know, the, the energy industry that I'm in has big up and down cycles. And with that comes, you know, career security threats as an example, or job security. You know, threats and those who can see that as an opportunity um, continue to kind of shore up their own knowledge and capabilities um, and and be able to thrive through that versus ones who really get um, kind of sucked into the negative I guess um, you know, it, it 's a big differentiator so those are probably two of the big things. Um, I think I have learned something though as well about and this is really more t- speaking to the companies out there that hire GMOs. You know, it was not all roles are a good fit for uh, for for GMOs, especially where there isn't a round hole round peg kind of technical fit right and so what I saw um, where we maybe have tripped up is where we sometimes put people into roles that are heavily technical. Um, and only expect technical things out of them. And there really are not immediately obvious uh, leadership dimensions to it Um, that that you can find people, you know, are being measured against something that they can't succeed at uh, quickly enough um, versus actually leveraging the strengths that they've got. And so I would caution companies really do think about the roles that you put them in and think about the people that you surround them with that understand that there is a learning curve, but there's also things you can tap into immediately. And and one of the other things that we observed was probably waiting a bit too long, and I, I alluded to it, to really get military officers into leadership positions, direct leadership positions. You know, this is, the main skill set that I would argue universally military folks bring. Um, But we tend to make people jump through a bunch of technical hoops uh, and achievements and promotions through kind of technical individual contributor route before we reward them with a, with a leadership opportunity. But I think we kind of under leverage that capability too much in corporate America.
0: I think it just, it brings up an excellent point that might you subtly said for you were talking to the companies, but if a junior officer is listening to this, say okay that is the value of partnering with a recruiting firm that our role at Cameron Brooks is talking to a hiring manager like you explaining just what you said okay when you're hiring this person what role are they going into okay that that sounds like a really good role or that does sound good but hey who's going to lead them how are you going to manage them what's the leadership piece there's a lot of this work that goes in by our client side of the business led by our CEO Chuck and uh, uh, Lauren Kornzik, who works with her, him closely, those conversations to align those things. And I do think that that is overlooked by junior officers when they transition of, mm-hmm. yeah, I could just do it myself. It, you know what? LinkedIn wasn't around when you got out in 2000. <laughs> there are more opportunities to do things yourself. But there is a tremendous value of a recruiting firm who is vetting. You know, we talk a yes. lot about vetting the candidates. But I think yeah. the junior officers. Vetting the know, roles. The importance of vetting the company vetting the position. Everybody knows Shell's a great company. Yeah. Yep. Not every role at Shell, not every manager is going to be a good fit yep. for a JMO going into the organization because they're that non-traditional hire.
1: Yeah, I think that's very, very true. And yeah, you know, maybe one other message I would give directly to, to candidates, I think the other place where I've seen candidates or then JMOs, you know, matriculating into companies, you know, trip up is not understanding kind of the shape of a career curve. Um, and so we tend to have a little bit of a linear expectation, I think, coming out of the military about promotions come at a certain time after a certain amount of you know boxes that you check. Um, I, I tend to think of the career, especially in a big company like Shell, As much more of an exponential curve. So there's going to be a a period of time where you're accumulating a lot of experience and it's not going to feel like you're making progress. But if you continue to do the right thing there, there will be an inflection point where your career really can take off. But you've got to... I won't say necessarily do your time, but you've got to invest, I would say, in your development and accumulating enough experience to hit that inflection point. And sometimes there's a mismatch between folks who expect more linear progression versus that exponential one and get quite disappointed with their own progress. And ultimately, that undermines actually their ability to progress because they get a negative attitude and other things along that line. So. Yeah. it
0: and, you know, I talk a lot about that. And the Cameron Brooks program talks a lot about that. I talk a lot about it at the career conference as well. And maybe Chuck talks a lot about before they, they take a position about this commitment and it's not going to be this linear path. And there's going to be sometimes that you're on the path and you don't know like when you're going to break out on the other side and you yeah. just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And eventually you break out. I talk, I relate it to, cause I, I love to hike and be outdoors. Oh, yeah. And I talk about when I'm hiking uh, summits and my favorite thing is to, get out there and hike elevations, get up and into an elevation or going to the Grand Canyon and hiking down, but eventually coming out that, hey, sometimes it's drudgery, you know? It's like, you're in the side of the hill, you're in the trees, you can't see anything, it's just one foot in front of the other, one foot in the other. And you just keep doing that enough, eventually you're gonna break out into the other side. And really good JMOs get that. Good JMOs that are committed, that are patient and have this, hey, I give and then I'm gonna receive get that obviously you have that 15 years with shell um what is it about you that the jmo or maybe the Ken brooks experience that has that in that retention if you will that longevity with shell for so long
1: yeah i um yeah i think there's there is a piece of mentorship that you you mentioned i have not uh, talked about which i think is is really important there and uh, and sometimes it's the role of mentors who are GM, uh, prior jMOs let's say, um, and, and years ahead of you. And so definitely early in my career, I think that's where some of this kind of advice around, you know, doing, doing what you got to do to accumulate the experience came from some of my colleagues around me who are a few years ahead of me and had a experienced it, as well as them helping to create some opportunities and look out for me uh, as well. You know, later on, it actually became kind of long-term shell people who may have not been uh, JMOs, but who also continue to help you figure out what it takes to get to that kind of next level um, and, and and really kind of recognizing that, like you said, you may be really close to seeing the summit uh, and just because there's brush in your way, you may not be able to see it. Um, sometimes, you know, those around you can help point that out, how close you are to it. It when you just when it feels like you might want to give up on stuff, um, yeah, I think there is a second one though, which I you know, and, and this may be scary to, to either companies or candidates out there, but I think there's also a, a confidence that comes with having left an organization and gone to another one that if if push came to shove, you could potentially do the same thing as well. And so you know, I, even inside of Shell, I encourage people to understand your external market value, and 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 do keep those skills sharp of engaging with the outside market. And what I tended to find was that you know the the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And whereas I think you can imagine that it is if you're not out there actually testing the waters and understanding what does compensation look like in other companies? What, what do the opportunities look like? How do they appreciate, you know, what I might be able to bring to the table? And, and my answers to those questions very uh, usually after going through that process where I saw, you know, what I had in hand was quite a good, uh, quite a good thing going. So um, so I, I think they actually go hand in hand. That part of kind of uh, staying with a company for a long time is understanding what that outside market looks like and putting some realism to it. So,
0: Michael, you've been tremendous. Uh, great story, and uh, I'm proud to, to have been part of your transition to Thank see you. how successful you are. Have risen in your in your career, uh, being the CFO. Obviously, your family we talked about before we started seems like they're thriving and doing well in New Orleans. And uh, since with my connection in New Orleans, uh, uh, I'll be there sometime in the fall for sure, the spring. Wonderful.
1: Uh, So, I, since you're so great to to uh, to connect, we'd love to catch up and be fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thanks again. And uh, yeah, it has been a a great experience. It feels you know need to be part of something, uh, still feel like part of the Cameron Brooks family and community and and, and love seeing the accomplishments of the other folks who've been through the experience as well that are out there. And there's some pretty high profile ones. So it also gives me motivation.
0: Michael, thank you for your generous uh, time today and uh, best of success. And I'll catch up with you when I'm in New Orleans here soon. All right, thanks, Joel. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cameron Brooks podcast. To learn more, visit our website at Cameron-Brooks.com. We have our book, PCS to Corporate America, 4th edition, that you can find on our website. Any suggestions or comments that you don't want to post on our podcast blog, you can always email me at joel at Cameron-Brooks.com.